Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. And more often than not, my doubts and problems aren't because Jesus isn't doing anything. Oh, he's doing a lot. I I can look around and see it. I I can observe it. I can sense it. But he's not always doing what I think he should be doing or what I thought he would be doing. Everything you're expecting to happen will. Everything I've promised to do, I'll do. But it doesn't always happen in the order we're expecting it. Today we finish Pastor Sam's message of faithful witness. We're in Matthew 11 and Sam will begin in verse 3. John the Baptist has been out witnessing and making the path straight for the coming Messiah, but now finds himself in prison. How Jesus addresses this gives us some wonderful insights into what Jesus considers a faithful witness. John just sends his disciples and says, are you the coming one or should we look for another? Now, I love Jesus' response to this. He doesn't rebuke John. He doesn't say, you should know better. How can a man like you see? Accusation is never the Lord. It's Satan who is the accuser of the brethren. That's why if you see someone struggling, it's one thing to go to him and say, hey, maybe you didn't know. Let me show you something. I was just, we were at a Bible study, and I just thought I had a, if we go meekly, if we go humbly, If we go with a goal of restoration, it's possible we might win that person back, that we might bring them out of the darkness or the sin that they've been ensnared in. But it doesn't always go that way. Sometimes you do the right thing and the response is negative. And that's what happened with John. He did the right thing. Herod didn't like it. Herod imprisoned him. He calls to Jesus through his disciples. What's going on? Now, Jesus' response to this is really out of a couple passages in Isaiah, possibly three or four, but I want to draw your attention to just two of them. One is in Isaiah chapter 35, and if you're quick, you can go there, but just listen to this for most of you. If you don't, you know, you're not good at finding your way around the Bible, make a mental note, Isaiah 35, and you'll see how important this passage is. By the way, John's doubts were no doubt a result of the fact that though Jesus was doing a lot of things, he wasn't doing exactly what John expected him to do. And more often than not, my doubts and problems aren't because Jesus isn't doing anything. Oh, he's doing a lot. I I can look around and see it. I I can observe it. I can sense it. But he's not always doing what I think he should be doing or what I thought he would be doing. And you got to see that as background in order for this to really hit you. In Isaiah 35, beginning at verse 3, it says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Now you'll see why Jesus chooses these verses right after this in a moment because John is familiar with the Old Testament. I mean, he is a serious student of it and a preacher of it. So say to those who are fearful hearted, that's John, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Psalm 35 says, listen, everything you're expecting to happen will. Everything I've promised to do, I'll do. But it doesn't always happen in the order we're expecting it, because here's why. The next portion here, beginning at verse 5, says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the dumb will sing, the waters will burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now, 
John, being familiar with this passage, expects Jesus to come, having identified him, to gather his people to himself, to overcome the uh, Roman rule, to crush it, to establish his kingdom on earth, a glorious reign of righteousness where there's everything that the Bible promises and prophesies, well, it comes to pass. So John is looking for all of that. Isaiah 61 Verse 1, many of you familiar with this passage because Jesus there in Nazareth at one point goes into a synagogue and they give him the scroll as he stands to read. And and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah in the section, verse 61, it's what we know as chapter 61, excuse me, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now at that point, Jesus rolls up the scroll there in the synagogue in Nazareth. He sits down having handed it back and he says, this day, these scriptures are fulfilled in your ears. He's saying these prophecies concerning the Messiah, I am fulfilling them right now, right here. But, but check this, he pauses, he stops and, and fails to read the last part of a sentence. It's not even a separate sentence, it's a part of the same sentence. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and, Isaiah goes on to say, the day of vengeance of our God. Why didn't he read that last part? Well, because he wasn't here the first time to execute vengeance and wrath. That's a part of the second coming package. You see... You know how almost every movie that's successful has a sequel? Well, there's a sequel to this whole coming of Jesus. He's coming again. It's Jesus part two. Jesus comes again. And all of the things that he didn't do the first time that the Bible prophesies, he will do this time. Well, how does that impact John the Baptist there in prison? Go back to Matthew 11, if you did turn, and most of you are still here. So note what he says. Go back and tell John the things you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He takes John back to Psalm 35. John would have been well familiar. He takes him back to, I mean, not Psalm 35, Isaiah 35. He takes him back to Isaiah 60. One, and John would have been well familiar. And John would have remembered, wait a minute, there's more. But remember, Isaiah 35, hey, the Lord will come. He will judge. There will be vengeance. There will be a recompense. The Lord will faithfully fulfill all his promises and prophecies. So where does that leave John? He has to figure out something that at this point none of the other disciples are getting. And that is that Jesus was going to do some of these things first time around. He was going to do the rest of them the second time around. Now, there are a lot of people still struggling with that idea or stumbling over that idea. And note what Jesus says in verse 9. It's actually a beatitude. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He's saying... If you don't stumble over this, if you don't let it trip you up, you're going to experience a great blessing. You rest in the situation God has you in. Even if you messed up and got yourself in a bad situation, you got to know this. 
All things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That's his promise. So even if you are messing up and then you're trying to get it right and you're saying, man, a lot of consequences, a lot of bad circumstances. Well, that may happen. But in the midst of it, God's still for you, not against you. And you can rejoice in that. But some of you will find yourself in difficult times and serious situations in the midst of doing everything that God's told you to do. And, and you'll begin to doubt and you'll begin to question and the enemy will begin to accuse. And you've got to know, hey, here's the solution. Look at what Jesus is doing because he's still at work and he's doing a great work. And, and John, listen, he faithfully fulfilled the call on his life. Now, I'm hoping that Keep on preaching and teaching and sharing till the day the Lord takes me home. And I know that's happened for others. My pastor's 75 years old and he's going strong. It's just awesome to go down there and sit under him and, you know, his teaching and just to see he's the same guy he was 25 years ago. He's the same guy he was 50 years ago. He's a little older, a little slower. But man, he is just as passionate and just as clear. And, and I'm praying that's what happens. But you know, John didn't just go from preaching and pointing people to Jesus to heaven. No, he went to the prison. And it may be that some of you, some of us, will end up on the mission field, that some of us will end up even here, falsely accused, misused, persecuted. Why? Hey, we've seen it over and over and over. And I'm thinking because he mentions it in chapter 5, and he mentions it again a few chapters later, and he mentions it again here, and then we see it a little later. Maybe he's really trying to prepare us for the fact that life won't always be as smooth and easy as it is for many of us. Well, in any case, Jesus says, don't be stumbled, but no, you can and, and will be blessed. Now, he begins to describe John, and I think he might have done this because there were people around and, and you know, they're saying, wow, John's having some doubts. Isn't he the guy that pointed us to Jesus in the first place? And, and Jesus begins to well, commend John publicly. He begins to kind of brag on him, as it were. And I was thinking, what would Jesus have to say about you? Or what would Jesus have to say about me? If he were saying, let me tell you about this guy. Let me tell you about this gal. Let me tell you about their character, their nature. Let me tell you what kind of a person you're, you're, you're dealing with. He asked a couple questions as they depart. Jesus begins to say to the multitude, verse 7, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Now, this has got to be sort of a subtle slam on Herod, even as it's a commendation of, of John the Baptist. Why? Because we know that John was no reed. He was in prison because he stood tough, was faithful and fearless. A reed, you see, just kind of bends with the wind. It goes whatever direction the wind is blowing. And we're warned that we need to grow up so we won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine or that we'll be able to stand fast in the times of trial and temptation. It's important for our faithfulness and, and our fruitfulness and usefulness to the Lord. But, but he's saying, what did you expect John to be, a reed? Is that what you saw when you went out there? On the other hand, though, Herod was in fact vacillating and, and wavering and, and unsure and insecure. John was none of that. John wasn't clothed in soft clothing, hanging out in the palace. Well, he was in the palace prison, but I doubt that they had robed him and, and clothed him comfortably. 
No, this is another contrast, if you will, between the nature and character of John, who is serving and representing the Lord, and Herod, who, well, he should have been. He had a background. He had an understanding. He had knowledge. But Herod was completely gone. So he says, what did you see? A prophet? Or what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? No, those ones are, well, they're in king's houses. It's interesting, while John would confront Herod, Jesus wasn't really willing to do that. It's interesting that sometimes God will send a witness, and if that witness is rejected, well, he can back off, and no one can say that's unjust or not right. But he goes on then to say in verse 9, What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yet I say to you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. He says, listen, John came to prepare the way, to, to prepare people and to point people to me. John was Jesus' forerunner. He was birthed for that ministry specifically, and he was faithful in it. And so Jesus says, listen, he was a prophet, yes, but more than a prophet because, well, the prophet said, he's going to come, he's going to come, he's going to come. John says, there he is. There he is. What great privilege John had. And what a privilege for us to be on this side of the cross where we're not looking forward to or anticipating or hoping in. No, it's a done deal. We know Jesus came. We know he died for our sins. We know he was buried and rose again. When we preach that, we're preaching it with full assurance that it's all happened. Well, he goes on then to say, Assuredly, I say to you, verse 11, Among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is a little bit of a paradox because it's difficult for us at first reading to figure out, well, how can he be the greatest and yet everybody in the kingdom's greater? Well, here's how that works. In a moment, he says, John was the last of his dispensation. The law and the prophets were unto John. And there's a sense, even though we read about him in the New Testament, that he's really more an Old Testament prophet. Malachi closes out the Old Testament, but then John comes along and, well, he's still occupying the ministry of those looking forward to the coming of Messiah. After John, everyone would say, Messiah's come. Messiah's been here. Jesus came and lived and died and was buried and rose again. He ascended to heaven and he's coming again. So John is a part of that Mosaic covenant. He's a part of that group that was under the law of Moses, the law and the prophets until John. There's something else, though, and it's so important for us as believers, as Christians, as Christ church. The church was never under the Mosaic law. The church has been birthed by the grace of God and through the blood of Jesus. It's not... If we keep the law and believe in Jesus, we will be saved. You see, they had to keep the law because, well, that was supposed to convict them of their need for a Savior so that they would look to the Savior and trust in the Savior. Didn't happen. Many of them thought they were keeping the law. That's why Jesus redefined all that when he says, hey, I know what you think. I know what you've heard. You're not supposed to murder. But listen, if you have hatred, you've committed murder in your heart. You're not supposed to commit adultery. But if you've lusted, you've committed adultery in your heart. He's saying, look, you're all sinners. But John is a part of that old dispensation. That's my point, ultimately. And, and that we're a part of a whole new thing. We're, we're under the new covenant, the covenant of grace. And, and it's not law. And it's not legalism. 
Doesn't mean the law has no place or no purpose. Somebody says, well, I don't think lying's always wrong. Well, let me show it to you. Thou shalt not lie. It still applies. You see, we say, well, I'm not under that. No, you are. The moral parts of the law, we're all under. In fact, people were under it before the law was written. God held men accountable for their sin before he ever codified the law and gave it to Moses in the first place. But he deals with us a little differently. And, and here's the most wonderful part of that. Those of you who are married, and if you have a healthy relationship with your spouse, you know that you're not trusting them to do the right thing, to, to come home and not run away or not cheat on you or any of that because you have a legal document at home that says you're married. If you're trusting in that document, you are really in trouble because it's just a piece of paper with words. What we're trusting in, those of us who really get what marriage is, is that we've married someone who loves us and we love them. And that love is unconditional and sacrificial and it's, and it's going to last, you see. Doesn't mean there won't be trials, there won't be problems. That They come, but, but here's my point. I don't need a law to tell me not to do things that would hurt my wife. Why? I love her. I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to offend her. I don't want to wound her. And because I love the Lord, I don't need a law to tell me, if you do this, you'll break fellowship with the Lord. I don't want to break fellowship with the Lord. I love the Lord. And I love him because he first loved me. And if you're a Christian, it's the very same for you. You love him because he first loved you. And it's not about the law. It's about love. It's such a higher motivation that the law just pales. It becomes absolutely unnecessary because we're bound together by something so much more wonderful, by, by love, a love that can't be broken, can't be discouraged, can't be destroyed. Well, he goes on then to say, from the days of John the Baptist, verse 12, till now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. For all the law and the prophets prophesied unto John. You need to know in Jesus' day, and I do believe this to be the simplest explanation of what is a little bit strange of a statement here by our Lord, is that there were those, Simon the Zealot among them, who were sworn enemies of the Roman government and anyone who did business with the Romans. They were actually trying to seize and establish the kingdom by force, in their own strength, through their flesh. Now, Moses got a lesson in that early on when he tried to deliver the children of Israel. And we're looking at those studies on Wednesday night right now as we go through Exodus. He tries to deliver the people in his own strength. And, well, it doesn't work out at all. He has to spend 40 years undoing all that and trying to, you know, get to where God can say, OK, now you're a guy I can use. Why? He's old. He's humble. He doesn't think he's qualified when he's young and zealous and ready to go. It's like, all oh, right, I'll do this for you. Now he's like, oh, I don't want it. Send someone else. I'm no talker. He's got all these excuses. And God says, you're my man. Well, well, here's the thing. There were those trying to press in, trying to establish the kingdom. There are still people like that today, small pockets which, within Christendom that, that believe that we need to establish the kingdom and then the Lord will come. It's called dominion theology and it's absolutely unbiblical. And here's why. Jesus is going to come again and establish his kingdom on this earth. It doesn't mean that we're not already a part of it or we shouldn't be doing all we can to expand it. But the way we expand the kingdom isn't by fighting our enemies. It's by loving our enemies. It's by preaching the gospel to them. It's by doing good to them. Because as they come to Christ, they cease being our enemies. And the kingdom, the kingdom that's already being established is 
visibly growing then. But the kingdom that John the Baptist was looking forward to, that ultimately we will be a part of as well, it doesn't happen until Jesus returns to the earth when the King of Kings returns and the Lord of Lords and he executes vengeance on those who oppose him. Well, that's all going to go down. So he tells us this is what's been happening. The law and the prophets, though, prophesied until John. He is the end of that dispensation. He is the end of that covenant. And from that point on, it would be the new covenant. It would be the covenant established in the blood of Jesus, not the blood of bulls and goats and sacrifice and feasts and festivals and laws and rules and regulations and restrictions. Just love in obedience, birth in love. Well, finally, he says, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, when Jesus says that, he's saying this is important stuff. But this this is a little bit of a, a odd statement as well. Jesus is saying, if you can get it, if it makes sense to you, if you can receive it, he is, John is, Elijah, who is to come. Now, here's why that would have been confusing. John already, when he was asked, are you Elijah? He said, no. And then I'm sure Elijah, who is up in heaven at this point, is saying, hey, wait a minute. He's not Elijah. I'm Elijah. Even I'm confused by this, Lord. Well, what's he getting at? What's he saying? Well, Even as the scriptures prophesy in Malachi that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, before the Lord comes again, Elijah will return. Now, I believe it will be the same Elijah that we read about in the Old Testament. And and I believe in the same way that Jesus came the first time fulfilling some things, John the Baptist came, as John's gospel tells us, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He wasn't a reincarnation of Elijah because the Bible teaches there's no such thing as reincarnation. He wasn't literally, physically Elijah, but his ministry was very much like Elijah's, preparing the people, pointing them forward to the coming of the Lord, and then ultimately, well, the Elijah who met with Moses and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, discussing, we're told, his exodus. It's an interesting passage. It's the the way by which he would lead his people out of the bondage of slavery, of sin and suffering and sorrow and all that sin brings. And so he says, if you can get it, well, here's the deal. It's like Jesus knew he would be rejected. He knew John would be imprisoned. He knew what was going to happen and how it was going to go down. And he's saying, if you can make sense of this, if you have ears to hear it and, and you can you can latch on to it, just see it. John is representing Elijah. I'm here representing my father. And and I came that you might have life eternal. I came that you might have life abundant. But that life can't happen until there's repentance, a turning from sin and a turning to him. And so today, perhaps some of you are in a bit of despair, going through a difficult time, having some doubts. Be encouraged. It happened to people closer to Jesus, trained by Jesus, you know, listen, related to Jesus. John was there. He knew, he identified, and now he finds himself struggling and suffering. When you find yourself there, look around and see what Jesus is doing. It's a wonderful reminder. And for any and all who might be here who've never committed your life to the Lord Jesus, listen, today is the day of salvation. The Bible always puts your need and God's willingness to meet it in the present. 
He never wants to put it off and he doesn't want you to put it off. So if you've not yet given your life to the Lord Jesus, you got to see it. Unless you are born from above, unless you're born again, unless you're born miraculously, well, none of the rest of what God's plan and purpose for your life is going to happen. So step one is you give your life to the Lord Jesus and you yield your life completely. And then you just see what he decides to do in you and through you. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tell us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I'm very glad of this. If God did things the way I want to see them done, what a mess we would be in. I have found that God is faithful to do what he has promised, and I just have to wait on him to see how he's going to do it. And this makes for a lot of very interesting surprises. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.